Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon and welcome everybody. Yes, it's Sam Talks Technology again and I'm really pleased to say I'm talking to my friend in, well, he says North Carolina. It's Hugh McLeod. How are you, Hugh? Hi, Sammy. How are you? I'm good, mate. Now, I was doing some research about the pair of us. We actually met back in 2004. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's not right. When, yeah. uh, well, that's like, what, that was like just before uh, TechCrunch UK launched, I guess. Yeah. You were, you were with um, another friend of ours, Robert Scoble. We were in oh, yeah. central London and we were yeah. doing um, an event. Well, you, you and him were doing an event and oh, I turned that would, up. That would have been a Mexican restaurant there. Indeed. Yes, right in the middle of Trafalgar Square. You're right, right, right. Yeah, we had a big, we had a big uh, Scoble thing. That's like 2004. That was, that was a big deal, you know. Yeah, and so that's okay. when I first came across you. And so for those who don't know Hugh McLeod, which aren't going to be many people in the IT industry, let's be brutally honest, uh, what do you do? Just give us a taste. I am the, I'm the lead artist and co-founder of Gaping Void uh, at gapingvoid.com, which is a, uh, a company that kind of, that kind of, tries to change culture or tries to affect, affect culture in uh, okay. organizations. And I, and I use art to do that. And that's what my specialty is. Although. So you're famous world over for your business cards and your artwork. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is, one of the most famous ones, I think, I guess, would be the one you did for Microsoft. That's one of them. Yeah, I did one for Microsoft that said, uh, you know, change the world or go home. I did that in 2006. Um, I did one two years before that called the shoe train, which just said the market for something to believe in is infinite. Um, and that was a kind of a kind of a beginning of my philosophy in business. And uh, before that, I was an advertising, you know, uh, a fairly conventional advertising writer, and not very successful at it. And my career started <laughs> my career started to tank a little bit, and uh, the internet came along. I started drawing cartoons on the back of business cards. I started posting them online and that kind of, uh, kind of created a, uh, a thing. And then, uh, so do you have an art background? Are you an artist? No, no, no. I'm just, I just like to doodle. And then, wow. uh, and then I, start, I, I got into blogging in a, in a serious way in the early 2000s yeah. and re- realized there's some kind of marketing potential in it, social media. And, uh, that's your and, famous blog, gaping void. Yeah, that's right. And I started like you know, working with clients to try to see, well, where does this blogging thing ha- happen? You know, what can we do with it? And um, my first client was a Savile Row tailor. I okay. blog- and I started uh, helping the tailor to blog about, you know, 3,000 pound suits, you know. Right. And that was kind of interesting because that made his business to do that, you know. So you got a massive response from it. Yeah, because there wasn't a lot of good information about, you know, high-end tailoring back then. So if you're the only person publishing it, you know, there's, if you think about it, there's a, there's a global, a total global market of high-end suits of about 10,000 people or 10,000 suits a year. That's about it. Right. And so, and they're bought by the same two or four to 5,000 people. So it's actually a pretty easy demographic to reach because they're all, you know, on the internet. Rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all on the internet. They're easy to find. There isn't a lot of, uh, you know, there, 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 aren't, there aren't a lot of people talking about it. And they're all talking about the same thing. So it all kind of coalesces. And so you just have to uh, convince, you know, and then you think, well, a tailor can make about 100 suits a year. So 
you need about 1% of that 10,000, which is pretty not that difficult. So it's a totally measurable market that you could go and yeah. read. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we did that. And then uh, did that for a while. And then I got involved with this South African wine brand called Stormhook with a, guy, with a very maverick uh, New Yorker called Jason Corman. Okay. And we started doing kind of blog experiments in, in social media for wine. We did it, what, 13 years ago. Started, yeah, I mean, you, you kindly did, as we'll talk about in a minute, I suppose, but you kindly did me a wine storm hook for TechCrunch UK. Yeah, that's right. We, we, started, we, started, we started sponsoring geek dinners because we thought that was the most wired community in the country. So if we, if we, if we got the most wired community in the country what, drunk... <laughs> we'd have a lot of we'd have a lot of we'd have a lot of fancy friends real soon yes that happened and then we, we leveraged those fancy friends into uh opportunities which we which we could then uh you know take to tesco's and go hey yeah. we're doing those interesting things with tesco with with these lovely people at microsoft or TechCrunch, or whoever yeah you know and because these people at tesco's have to hear the same crap every day from the same growers and the same, you know, same suppliers every day, you know, they, here's a guy talking about Microsoft or TechCrunch instead. It's just interesting. So, uh, so, but before you had that embryonic thought of, you know, going out to the geek community with mm-hmm. that, were you, I can't remember the chronology, were you also doing your cartoons or business card? Yeah. Or- yeah. Yeah. I was doing business card drawings, but that, I wasn't really monetizing those. They were more of a kind of uh a social object, just a kind of a thing to keep me amused. I wasn't really. Uh, but they went viral everywhere. Everyone yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I was I didn't have a business built around selling cartoons. You know, right. it was more like using the cartoons to create marketing opportunities for my clients' products, rather than who wants to buy a T-shirt. Yeah. Okay. Because, because the thing about selling T-shirts is you have to sell a lot of them, a lot of them. But you've also got Hugh cards, haven't you? Your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's more of a. That's more of a petri dish. That's more of me kind of on my own experimenting. You know, it's not me trying to monetize it really. Okay. The the, the, the monetization is over at Gaping Void, which we're trying to work with clients to kind of solve real world problems using okay. using culture, using art. I'm more of the art side of the thing of the equation, but we have a whole toolbox of stuff. But I, I do the drawing part. Uh, and this is this is with Jason that you formed Gate. With Jason, this, yeah, the same guy I was working with Stormhawk. Okay, and so when you when you started developing these ideas, did did social media the did you see the advent of all these social media Facebooks and Twitters? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I, I the only trouble with uh, social media is exactly what happened, where it gets taken over by the big boys, and all becomes algorithmic and Kind noise. Of noise just noise yeah yeah and so uh what we did was we started investing a lot of our email with mailchimp okay and we said you know we oh, got, did you say they've just done a they've turned over 700 million dollars now oh yeah they're they're enormous and they're totally really nice. self-funded as well yeah they're, they're they're nice people too i gave a talk there a year or two ago right uh, and they're you know they're very, you know that's a really good example of they were just like a web company, you know, web development company, you know, advertising, marketing company. Their clients kept on asking for, for, for uh, emails, newsletters. And so they built a platform and they ran with it. It wasn't like, you know, okay. they're just like one of 50 
small design shops in Atlanta. Right. And they had this one. Uh, yeah. So we started heavily. We we found that uh, Mailchimp really worked for us. That we really enjoy the the. I'm not saying it's a cure-all magic formula. I'm just saying the way we present ourselves, the way we communicate, the way we turn communication into business down the road, it just works for us very well. So we kind of put a lot of effort into our email. And uh, and then we just kind of, I mean, personally, I mean, yeah, we still do Instagram, we do Twitter, we do Facebook, but it's not like where our friends are so much anymore. Yeah, I mean... In the early days, I think, well, you were one of the early people on Twitter. I know I was, yeah. and I know Scoba was. I mean, literally, you could count like a hundred people you knew on Twitter, and there wasn't many more people. You know, right. there's maybe a thousand people in total. So you could read the whole of a Twitter stream as it went yeah. past you because yeah. it it didn't feel like it was just noise. Um, and yeah. I agree. Today, I don't use Twitter because it's a broadcast medium. Everyone's just shouting. You know, look at me. T- tell me what you think and but there's no listening there's no no, conversation no no, but what is good for i find is like um looking for story you know looking for stories to write about looking for new ideas like uh there's a british guy out of ogilvy uk called rory sutherland right yeah yeah his new book came out last week yeah yeah and he's just a wonderful man and just wonderful ideas and so he's always pointing to interesting ideas um and he's like, and he, and, and he's always like, and you can always say, hey, hey, Rory, what do you think of this idea? Or, hey, Hugh, what do you think of this idea? It's really good for kind of people in the idea business to kind of like Just throw stuff around. Yeah. So it's not like, it, but, you know, whereas, uh, you know, where like Facebook's a bit noisy, but there's a lot of, I have a lot of real friends there. You're like, oh, people yeah. I want to school with and. You know, people bitching about their husbands, or people bitching about their wives, or people bitching about their jobs, or just that human yeah. mess. That's kind of uh, um, that kind of human mess. That's just kind of not really about business. It's quite good to natter with my old high school buddies. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think the social networks have become siloed. I mean, I guess if I want to talk tech, I don't talk on Facebook with my family because that's all no. on Facebook, and so I go to maybe LinkedIn or Twitter. And yeah. if I want to just share a nice picture of a scene or something, I'll go to Instagram. They sort of have fallen into their yeah, yeah. little boxes. Yeah, I like I like I like uh, I like LinkedIn. It's good when you're feeling formal. I don't always feel formal though, so I'm not sure. You know, I have to remember to put my formal hat on. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. and that gets harder as I get older. You know, I'm not really. I I uh, I think it's quite good for. It's kind of weird, you know. It's it's you you know. It's like, do you want to actually talk to people, or do you want do you want to promote something? I mean, it's a, it's a good, both valid yeah. things. To, and you know, I don't always feel like, hey, I, I don't feel like always promoting stuff. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I just want to matter about Game of Thrones, you know. Yeah, and, and I think people on LinkedIn just want to sell. Yeah, and that's fine. And so I like to keep that kind of sphere separate. If that makes any sense. Um, I, th- I think I think uh, with LinkedIn I can keep it kind of formal. With Facebook I can keep it informal. Uh, I'm not sure about Instagram at all because I'm not sure. Uh, and then with Twitter I'm, I'm kind of a bit schizo because sometimes I feel just like being myself, and sometimes I feel like selling something. So, so uh, is that 
Is that where you get your inspiration from? Where do you get your ideas from? Because, I, look, I, I subscribe to your uh, email and I get your emails pop in and I just look at them, you know, the, the image that comes and I go, where did that come from? That is so left field. That is so, you know, how does he come up with those ideas? I mean, pra- how pra- do you come up with them? Pra- practice, practice. Just I keep doing it every day. I've just been doing it for 30 years. But yeah. But you're coming out with fundamentally a very succinct point that is yeah. like the zeitgeist of the day or the week oh you kind of notice this thing over there and you kind of notice that thing over there and you kind of figure out a connection between the two so exactly for example i was thinking about slaying the dragon right it was st george's day the other day right yeah so i think you know george slayed the dragon right so i'm thinking well that story took about five minutes to tell Okay. You watch a movie, it takes about 90 minutes to tell. But really, my big dragons took me 30 years to fucking slay. <laughs> when does it take? It takes Hollywood 90 minutes to slay a dragon. It takes me 30 fucking years. Where's the disconnect? Right. And that, there's a cartoon right there. Yeah. So, I, our... so you notice something, and then you notice. So I noticed it was St. George's Day, and I noticed my own life. Right. And I, I, a cartoon kind of. Kind of so, you must have a very visual mind then. So That's you must right. just see it in your mind and then be able to transpose that to paper. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's visual. It's more of an abstract thing. I mean, look at my abstract. <laughs> you know, I, I do love abstract. But I, I mean, I think my style is a combination of abstract and real, uh, non-abstract because our minds think that way. We think in very visual terms, but very non-visual terms. You know, we kind of, you know, we, we live at a very abstract level, but we also live at a very non-abstract level, you know. I mean, sometimes we see a cigar and sometimes we see a dick, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, and sometimes we see both at the same time, you know, and, and we kind of navigate between these different realities. And so I want, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of live in this kind of like metaphorical soup, but we also, you know, we also die, we get hit by a train. So it's not all metaphor. <laughs> it's yeah, metaphor and knowledge molecules so uh, so talking of trains a very quick one so how did you get involved with the clue train manifesto and what was the what what for those who don't know what was the clue train manifesto and how did you get involved ah well i wasn't involved with it i just i was a big i was just an early uh reader of it a big fan of it oh okay i I thought you were part of the team that did it because no 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 i did i wrote something called the hue train which is ah, okay okay sorry that, so, was, that, that was just, that was just like uh, uh, that was just like a private joke, you know. Okay. I mean, it, it, I I wrote this manifesto. I just called it the Q Train Manifesto because it was a pun on the Clue Train Manifesto. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, but it was it was the, the Clue Train was a uh, this book that came out in, or website, but it became a book later. It came out in like 1997, 98 around then. Yeah. About how the web's going to change language and change communication. And it will kind of fundamentally change the way uh, it'll, it'll, the, the Internet will democratize uh, communication and make it kind of bottom up as opposed to top down. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed very radical at the time, very utopian. Uh, Do we think it succeeded? Sort of. Yes and no. I mean, it, it, it's like uh, kind of be careful what you wish for kind of thing. You know, it's like, uh, you know, pretty, you know, in the future, everybody will be able to talk to everybody. Uh huh. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yes. Depends. Sounds it. 
Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a good thing. Uh, Until you get all the idiots and the trolls who used to just talk to themselves, being able to talk yeah, to everybody. Right. Yeah. And then the, the, the trolls take over the, the conversation. And then what do you, you don't really have a conversation anymore. Exactly. Uh, uh, so, but, you know, we, we always uh, tend to overestimate ourselves. We always tend to underestimate complexity, I find. I mean, have you, have you noticed that when people get things, when you disagree with somebody, right? Like, you know, uh, Jeremy Corbyn will fix everything. Brexit will fix everything. A second refer- 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 referendum will, will fix everything. Uh, Trump will fix everything. Yeah. Not impeaching Trump will fix everything. Okay, you always have one thing you've missed out, one layer of complexity you hadn't thought about. Yeah. And, that, and that's the whole thing to shit. Yeah, and, but, but it won't fix it. We know none of those will be. They're, they're yeah, not exactly. the elixir of life. They're not exactly. going to fix it. But it's like, well, you disagree with someone. Let's say, let's say you're very pro-Brexit, okay, for sake of argument. Yep. And you find a guy who's like a bit of a hippie, a bit of a bit of an Islington guy, and uh, he loves the remain. He wants to be a remainer, and he, you know, and he kind of likes this whole remaining argument. And you disagree with him. You don't. It's not because you think this guy's wrong. Not because he's evil or stupid. It's because he hasn't factored in. A, he hasn't factored in something, an extra layer of complexity. If that makes any sense? Yes. And, and you know, this is what happened with social media 10 years ago, you know, we'll just hire an intern, they'll do our website or blogosphere or social media, and then people just miraculously give us money for no reason. Yeah, I mean, in in the early days of social media, I mean, measurement was simply on that stupid metric of how many followers you have, or how many likes you've got, or how many, I mean, do you remember, you know, there was that site? um, It's hot, oh, oh, uh, yeah, that one. Hot, no, it's called, uh, it was the one where you got a, a score. Um, yeah, yeah. Tweet, no, not tweet score, but yeah. It'll come back to me in a minute. But, you know, it was just like this this stupid idea that if you got a 96 or a 97, you were a high social media influencer and therefore you had higher importance and value. And, and we started off with that sort of chasing our tails after getting the biggest follower account, getting the biggest likes. Media brands would pay millions like Coke on Facebook to yeah. run ads to get likes and then then the model kept changing then zuckerberg one morning said no it's not about that you can't you know you can't have more than five thousand friends or you can't have more than so many likes or likes won't appear in the stream because we don't want it full of ads so the whole thing became a mess and i think we've come full circle where now actually i prefer to go on to private small group chat sessions with my mates yeah you know, yeah where I know it's trusted friends, where it's private, and I know whatever I say is not going to be cut and pasted and found up on you know, the front page of TechCrunch tomorrow morning. Let's say. You're, you're, you're talking about your cloud score, clout. That was it. Yes, clout. Yeah. No, but I mean, you look at like somebody like our friend Robert, right? Yeah. From Scoble. And I, I mean, I had the same problem at South by Southwest. He used to go every year. And we, we found out real quickly that just because people want to have their selfie with you at South by doesn't mean they want to give you money. Yeah. Oh, and okay. You can turn your celebrity into speaking gigs or you know consulting gigs. Yeah. But you had to tap tap. It's pretty hard to do that, and it's not a real business. No. Whereas, uh, you know, I thought the guy who was genius about this was uh, Brian Clark, who had a, a blog called Copy Blogger, and he he wrote a blog about cop- about blogging, but then okay. built, built a. Uh, blogging software on the back of it so people could buy it so they could read about blogging and then go buy the software he made, ah. a, he made a fortune 
Well, that's the old adage, isn't it? The people who built the railways or the railway owners didn't make any money. It was the people who sold the pickaxes and the railway lines who made the money. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Or, or, or the, or the, uh, and, that, and, that, and that's kind of what we do at Gaping Void is we, you know, we, we you know, we, we've always used the, the art and the ideas and 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 uh, the writing as a way of establishing relationships. So we have a, and then we and then we build a product on the back end of that. So we already, we are we create a relationship through art. And then we say, well, you know, then they ask us, what else we got? You know, it's very uh, interesting you said the word relationship because I've been reading, I'm interviewing Tara Hunt tomorrow. Do you remember Tara? Yeah, yeah, Tara. Yeah, I had dinner with her a few years ago. Yeah, so I'm interviewing her tomorrow, and she's got a great video on LinkedIn and YouTube, which you know she says what we've just been saying for the last couple of minutes. Content isn't king. You know, if you chuck out content, yeah, it'll last while you've got the budget to create content. But this minute you stop having a budget for content, people stop following you. Attention is the same thing. You can you can fund attention for a, a period of time. You called it fame as well. You know, you can have that moment of attention where everyone wants to deal with you, but it wasn't not going to turn into money. And she yeah. says, fundamentally, it's relationships that turn businesses into money. Right. And so she's yeah. violently agreeing with you, by the way. I was just yeah, to say. yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a girl who had tap tents pretty hard for a long time before yeah. she had a product, and that's not a criticism. I mean, we did too. Um, you know, you have to. I mean, to, to be that one of those um, content is really hard. You know, as, 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 as content as product is really really hard. Yeah. And that, you know, uh, and, and remember, you're 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 uh, now. Content, and that, that's what I that's what I noticed when I was drawing cartoons. When I first started drawing cartoons, it's like, okay, these are nice. Who's going to give me money for these? Nobody, you know. So what else? What else can I do besides? Right. Because because what ha, what ha, you know? There's an old joke around Instagram or maybe it's Twitter, but you know the typical Instagram artist, you know, post a drawing, and then everyone, you know, a thousand people say you should make a print of that. So he goes, wow, a thousand people say I should make a print of that. So he goes and make, makes a print. How many people actually buy a print? Yeah. Three. Yeah. Okay, so that, okay, three, three people bought a print. That's whatever, 80 pounds, whatever, 90 pounds. Yeah. Oh, good. You know, what is that? That buys you a train ticket to and from London. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Big, big whoops. Yeah. Big whoops. And so, uh, so I, and I realized that early on that, like, you know, bloggers talk a lot, but they don't really buy much. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, I, I think yeah. I think you've got it. I mean, in the sense that your drawings are famous, you are famous because of your drawings or vice versa. Um, so I, in many ways, if anyone's been around this Internet space, you know, more than five minutes, you know, if you pick up the phone, I'm pretty sure you could open a door to most places. So the, the cards have given you an access to where you want to get to. And now you've got the business that follows behind it. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been like, it's been like, uh, like people get, you know, bestseller books, you know, like they publish these business books. They're great business cards. Yeah. But they open doors. But you know, when you want, once you walk in the door, you have to have something to say. You can't just be an idiot. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, uh, and if people do open doors for you and you have nothing to show for it, then, then they feel taken advantage of. And then you feel like, they, then everyone feels like an idiot. And that's even worse. Uh, so you have to have a, you have to have a, you have to have this like a follow through. Now it can be fairly, uh, there's an American over here, Austin Cleon, who's writes a lot of like stuff I do. He's very similar to mine. 
very good cartoonist, very good writer. And he, you know, he doesn't, he does speaking gigs. So that's what he does. And it, it pays the bills and he's very good at it. And he's long, he's happy doing it. And his, his wife doesn't mind him spending all that time in airports. It's doable. Um, have you never, have you never thought of, well, I guess you have, I'm sure. I've done, I've done it syndicating your cartoons to newspapers and stuff like they did with Peanuts and Schultz and things like that. I remember the, the old days, you know, just reading that little Peanut Charlie Brown cartoon on the back page of every the old, newspaper. The, the, key, the key word there's the old days. Right. Okay. Those, those companies are no longer investing in new material. I mean, Silbert was the last one. That was 20 years ago. Okay. They, they've not done any interesting work in 20 years. And they're just trying to hold on their, to their old properties, you know, Popeye and, you know... Uh, Beetle Bailey and Peanuts and, you know, all these cartoons properties that are 50, 60, 70 years old that haven't had a new idea in decades. And it's really just, I mean, the other, the other thing is, you know, it'd be great to be in the Daily Mail. Yes, it would be. Mm-hmm. However, it's a double-edged sword, you see. They want you in the Daily Mail. You're in the Daily Mail. That means you're right. nowhere else. That means they got you. It's a bit like being in a New Yorker or, be, you know, being in, you know, whereas we're, what we have instead is we have a fan base of X tens of thousands of people. You do. Yeah. At, a very, at a very high level, you know, like corporate people. Yeah. Well, and, Steve Clayton, who. He, well, there's a good example. Yeah. yeah so he's, he's on the show in a few weeks. So Steve's a good friend of ours, both of ours. Okay, yeah. And, and uh, you did that Microsoft one for him, I think. Wasn't yeah, it? And we still, yeah, we still do work with him every, every couple of years. You know, we'll meet up in Seattle and just, hey, let's do something fun together, you know. And we have, you know, hundreds of people like that on our roster where we just like, you know, they kind of like all consultants, you know. They, they, you do a bit of work, they go away for a bit, then they come back, you know, because, you know, you can't, you know, last thing you, you went around 24-7 is a consultant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you want them, you want to see them every now and then. Yeah. So, you know, we so we, we build relationships that we can say, well, and right now we're in the culture space where, you know, uh, corporations have discovered that, uh, you know, that if you, can, if you can affect your culture in a really positive way, you can really affect your bottom line. And so how do you do that? You know, a very good example is speaking of Microsoft, Microsoft, who, you know, transformed the culture a lot in the last five years and, you know, did all kinds of great things with that. Uh, so give me an example of a client without, you know, unless you want to name them, what you, you would do to change their culture. How would, how would Gaping Void go in and, and work with them? Uh, well, I can tell you about what I do. Really, okay. Uh, what we try to do is we, we try to, okay, uh, for example, uh, like we did one for Air, Edwards Air Force Base, which is like one of the big Air Force bases, the yeah. U.S. Air Force, one of the big giant ones, you know. Yeah where they have B-52s and B-2 bombers and stuff, one of the real hardcore ones, which, you know, are these size of a small city. I mean, it's enormous, enormous, enormously. And you have all these people from all over the world who or all over the country who are trying to keep the whole thing together. And you kind of say, well, what was important here? What's changing? Because you have all these systems, all these legacies built into the Air Force, and you're trying to change. You know, the thing about the military is it's always changing. And you're always trying to change it. And at the same time, you've had stuff that's always worked. So you have this colossal tension between the new and the old. Right. You know, so you have first-class warriors, general strategists, 
when they're using 30-year-old computers, even though in many ways. So it's really fascinating. Uh, with all large organizations, you have that tension. You know, we have very, very, uh, I mean, look at the French Foreign Legion, you know, we're kind of yeah, similar, similar to the Paras, you know, very, very good soldiers <laughs> using 1960s weapons, basically. Yeah. Hey, the parents are in the same boat. We, they, 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 the British Army has not been updated with its kit and equipment. It's really poor. Which is good when you're fighting Argentinians, but when you're, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or you know, Senegalese or you know, whoever. Congolese. Yeah. Well, they found out very quickly the SA-80 rifle didn't work in the desert. There you go. Anyways, um, all the gear, no, no idea. That's what they say about the Yanks. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they say. So, 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 in order to have a culture, and this is what I, this is where I come in, this is what I try to figure out, is I try to articulate using art. What's important here about what we're doing? What's interesting here? What's going to work? What's going to fail? What do we value? What don't we value? You know, what, what can we, what is living here? What is dead? What is, aha, what is just whatever? Yeah. And trying to kind of create this, using art to kind of create this discussion about, well, what matters to us? Because w- once we can know what matters, then it's much more hard to proceed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, use a military example. The reason the, the reason the Falklands War was over in three weeks is because they had a very clear objective. Liberate Port Stanley. Yes. Kill the, kill the fuckers. <laughs> or not. But yeah. liberate, liberate Port Stanley. There it is. There's us. Let's go. Yeah, and they did it pretty well. Yeah, uh, whereas, you know, turn Venezuela into Sweden, that's way... <laughs> yeah, or, or let's liberate Afghanistan, but we don't know yeah. how or when. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, so, so I... So, I, I suppose... so, so, so you, what you do is you go in and you try and unravel the culture, the stories, the the key ethics that matter and yeah. bring it down to something that everyone can get behind, I guess. Yeah. Because all, all businesses run a narrative. Okay. All businesses are like fueled by narrative. You can't, you can't, that's, that's scaffolding. You know, why should I come work for you? Because we sell a better mousetrap. You know, why should we, I come work for you? Because I'm, we're Apple fucking computers. Why should I, why should you work for us? Because I, because I started, you know, I used to work for the Paris, I used to work for the British Paris. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're all, and art is, art is kind of narrative. Art is a language, you know, and so, and so we use narrative to kind of. Uh, well, as it <laughs> says, a picture paints a thousand words. Yeah, and and uh, you know, like our your, our mutual friend, chief storyteller, of Microsoft, you know, Steve Clayton. Okay, you're chief storyteller. Great. What story? You know, hello. Yeah. Well, he he can tell you because he's thought about it. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, and because, okay, you, you, you've been an entrepreneur many times. And we all have, and we're all older than we were, God forbid. <laughs> uh, but we all have different reasons for doing things. And we all frame those in narrative. Yeah. And we all have to explain it to our wives, huh? <laughs> I mean, exactly. yeah, we, all, we all have to, like. Why are we so, doing these 18-hour mad days? Yeah. Yeah, because there's a narrative, and we can't frame it in narrative. Then we can't, you know, uh, 
And so what I, I use art to kind of create narratives that allow people to kind of understand where they are in the big picture. Uh, and that affect and that affects the culture, and also uh, you know a big part of a big part of culture is alignment. You know, we're here for the same reason. You know, uh, Napoleon used to say, I love this phrase, that good morale is worth fifty thousand men, which I think is a brilliant idea. You know, um, so why why is this little French peasant with a rifle willing to die for this other French peasant? With a rifle, who hasn't, who they never met, who's never met before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and unless you have that singular goal, you're not going to yeah. do it. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people, you know, just assume that businesses are self self winding self. What what are they? Perpetual motion machines? They just happen yeah, yeah. by themselves. You know, they just tick along tickety boo because people just you know, wake up and want to give you money just because. So I mean. I think I think this is a good one. I've got probably three companies I want to just get your opinion on then. So, so Microsoft when I was in Microsoft was oh, yeah. under the days of Gates. <clears throat> we were gung ho. We were winning everything. It was the company on the up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was easy to rally the troops around because sure. fundamentally we were winning everything. We were going one way. Right. Um, under Barmer, the company stagnated. It flagged flagged away people were leaving the whole thing the share price didn't move the needle they missed every big opportunity whether it was the internet mobile cloud i mean fundamentally yeah. they missed most of it under satya they've now turned it totally around they've changed their narrative they're now even adopting linux within the operating system all of those things as an example so that's yeah. a great story turnaround um apple do you think under Tim Cook it's still got a story to tell? Is it is it the new Microsoft? Is it is it stagnating? Because I can't think of anything really as a product that they've delivered in recent times that you know has moved me to be wow I must buy that product. Um, well, so I, I mean the, the the trouble with being a creative person or creative company you're you're always going to have the same question what else you got? Yeah. What, what's next? And so they've not had a big what next in like seven years. I mean. Skinnier, skinnier computers, maybe slightly thinner iPhones. Who cares? The, the actual. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a six plus still because I haven't had a need to upgrade. Yeah, my my computer, my my Apple MacBook Air, I've had for, well, I've had this one for about three years. The one before that, I had for seven years. A beautiful machine. Yeah. But I don't kind of, but I don't think about, you know, I don't, I don't like. Uh, watch the videos of what are they called keynotes or whatever yeah yeah the apple keynote yeah yeah i mean it's like okay the sh slightly shinier phone than the other one but well i watched them in the hope that you know that one more thing is going to turn up and it's going to be this great amazing thing but of course it it never is um you know they've missed out i mean they had siri like microsoft missed out on mobile microsoft missed out on the internet pretty much I feel that Apple have missed out on voice. You know, Amazon and Google have got there, and Siri's and, just this. And, and, and they really missed out on the cloud as well, I thought. I yeah. The, I always thought the, uh, they never really had a good viable, like, thing for Google Docs or something like that, you know. Or, yeah, I mean, know. they've got the services there, but they're just so badly written and so badly functional that I wouldn't use them. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even know they had them. I suppose they do. But, I mean, I just don't. Yeah, they they come they come on your your Mac and you've got iCloud and it all exists, 
but it's so clunky and so yeah you know some of the well, features just don't work yeah well i said about i said about microsoft this was 15 years ago when they missed the internet you know i said i'm not sure microsoft likes the internet <laughs> no <laughs> you know maybe they do now but i mean back then i think it took a little while um and maybe you know maybe just apple doesn't like I mean, well, I, actually, the last keynote, to be fair, Tim Cook said that, you know, that, that fundamentally he said we're a services company now. So they're, they're looking at uh, TV plus and news plus and trying to get better podcasting. And they're obviously creating you know, their own private content to try and take on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And- I, I, I like iTunes. I mean, that's what I use. It's great. I mean, it's good for music and um I mean, it's just quite hard to, you know, it's like I, I've, I've, I've had three books published. It's really hard to write more than two books. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, so it's like, uh, so it's just hard to be, it's hard to, it's hard to get th- from there from here, especially what, what got you here ain't from there. Right. You know, it's very hard. It's hard to. But know, unless they reinvent themselves and create a new narrative, going back to what you were saying, create a new story for Apple. You know, if you were if you were gaping void going in to do a consulting gig on Apple, what would you advise them? Uh, what would I advise them? Oh boy, uh, I would I would I would I would well I'd do what I do with Microsoft, which is like, you know, forget the product. Why why is everybody really here? What are, you know? What's really why do you know? What, why why do people? You know, kill themselves to work here. What, you know, what, what's a human quality? I, I, I always break things down to human, human, human motivations that have nothing okay. to do with balance. And I kind of try to find, uh, you know, the esprit de corps. You know, like I said earlier, Napoleon said, you know, good morale is worth fifty thousand men. Well, I want to know what that, what causes that good morale, right? And that, and find that narrative. And that has nothing to do with shiny, shiny objects. Okay, that has nothing to do with. Uh, Bits of metal, bits of plastic, bits of you know glass. It has everything to do with uh, uh, our relationship with human potential. And so, and so, what you try to do is you try to talk to people and try to kind of channel that energy. Um, you don't say, you know, I got a list of everything you got to do. Follow me, follow me. I got a list. Here's my list. Yeah. It's more of a, it's more of a. Oh, more of a psychotherapist thing where you're kind of going, well, why does this matter? You, you know, you tell me. You tell me, why does it matter? What are you doing here? Why does it matter? Yeah. It doesn't have to be profound. You know, you're just trying to make a living, fine. You know, you're just trying to pay your mortgage, fine. You just want to change the world. Well, why do you want to change the world? I would love to see you do an, a cartoon for Apple in the same way you did one for Microsoft. I'd love to see that. The, the thing about Apple, the difference between Apple and, and uh, Microsoft is at the time, Microsoft was very receptive. I'm not sure how receptive Apple is. I think Apple likes to control everything. Yeah, it, it is. It's a very private. Uh, yeah. I mean, in all the years in the industry that I've been in, and even when I was in Microsoft, I didn't know anyone in Apple. I knew people in Lotus, WordPerfect, Borland, you know, IBM. Yeah. But it just never knew anyone in Apple. It was like you, you joined Apple and then you never came out and went to an event or you never participated in the community. It just seemed like you were just sucked into the Apple, you know, environment yeah. and never yeah. let out again. Like Disney was like that, too. 
Like yeah, very, very smart, very, very smart, very talented, very tough, and very private. Right. And you don't, fuck, you don't fuck with them because they will fuck with you back. You know, they, they know what they're, and not only that, not only will they fuck with you, they know how to, and they know what they're doing. It's not like, yeah, we'll fuck with them back, we'll fuck with them, but they're idiots. No, they're not idiots. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, they're like the U.S. Marine Corps. You don't fuck with them unless you know what you're doing. Yeah, you, you are <laughs> going to get hurt otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just don't assume they're idiots from Kentucky. No, okay. they're, they're, they're the U.S. Marine Corps. You just don't fuck with them. Unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> so, okay, another company, because it's a culture thing, and I guess I want to ask you. So recently, Google employees have started to go on strike or at least come out for the day in protest against two things. One, Google using facial recognition software for the military. They just disagree with the policy of the company. It doesn't matter what, why they did it. They had a disagreement with the policy. And then secondly, um, uh, the guy who invented Android, uh, again, my brain's slowly dying. Um, and he, um, he basically, allegedly, so I better say it, allegedly uh, did something with a lady and he got a golden handshake to leave. And the employees thought that was wrong. So, is, are we seeing cultures now changing within companies? Or is is that something that's oh, yeah. bottom yeah, well, up Google, now? Google's kind of a bit strange, I think, because I remember the video got out of, of, of they did like a, a all hands meeting when Donald Trump got elected, and they're all terribly traumatized, and uh, about Donald Trump being president because you know that's the end of civilization as we know it. It's um, close. Yeah, it seemed like it for a lot of people. Seemed like it. Was funny. Uh, and so this one guy stood up, and he just went. He he stood up. I I had no idea who he was. A young man about thirty years old. And started saying, "Well, we you know we have to continue to fight. Fight against transphobia. Fight against the patriarchy. Fight fight against uh, all the other things we have to fight against. Yeah, uh, the isms. Yeah, every single ism. Like a total like a total like left wing ideologue out of, out of uh, a left wing college." And I went, I thought to myself, okay, well, while you're talking about the patriarchy and you're talking about, what else are you talking about? You're talking about, uh, you know, fighting transphobia and Islamophobia and homophobia and all the phobias and, and femophobia. And your bosses are down the hall talking about wiring up the uh, Chinese government who are like brutal totalitarian, you know, dictators. Yeah, yeah. You say, how much do you talk about that? This much. So you're you're dealing with the Chinese on one level, and you're 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 preaching to everybody else about the patriarchy on the other level, and something doesn't fit to me. Okay. Yeah. And, it, and I'm not saying they're evil people. I'm just saying they don't see their own paradox. They don't see the they they don't see the they can't read the label of the jar they're in. If that makes any sense. They're they're they're, to, they're No, I get that. It's a very good analogy. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're mean people. They're just trying to. That has got a lot of power, and they're trying to do everything. They're trying to do good, you know, fight the patriarchy, which, in their, you know, from because they all came from that, you know. Uh, and we're all, you know, we're all trying to. I think we're all trying to do that. I mean, you ever watch Question Time? Yes. You know, it's like, you know, how do we how do we be inclusive and exclusive at the same time? You know, it's kind of you know Harvard, like Harvard University, which is a great university over here. Or they do this at Oxford and Cambridge as well. Well, they want to be inclusive, you know, allow people more women and more, you know, minorities and more gays. Yeah. You know, and that's good. But you also want to be exclusive too. 
<laughs> you don't want to let it, any old riffraff. Yeah, you have to be rich and gay. You can't be yeah, just... Yeah, well, well, exactly. You can't, you know, it's like you want to be exclusive and inclusive. you got to kind of uh, be both. And we all, want, we all want that from kids, you know. We all want to, uh, you know, we all like to say, you know, you know, yes, we, we say we all want our kids to be very kind of, you know, you know, we, we, we say we want to set our, our children to be very open-minded and very exposed to everything. At the same time, you know, how shit of school are we willing to set our kids to for them to be open-minded? Yeah, you know? well, the, I have that very same dichotomy. I, I've sent my kids to private school, although yeah. I want them to be open-minded and fair and not judgmental. Right, exactly. But at the same time, you want your kids, you know... But they're my, my, my two entrepreneurial experiments that I don't want to screw up. Right. Right. And so, and I mean, I'm, 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 uh, I'm okay with that. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, I, I think, I think in, I think in London, you live in London or in England, that's fairly, uh, I mean, here in North Carolina, it's really a lottery where you get, you know, this, the local, the city tells you what school your kid goes to and some are good and some are bad. And if you're, uh, you get a good school, you, you, you don't have to pay for private, but if you, you, you don't win the lottery, then you have to pony up. But we only have one child, so it's doable. <laughs> but, um, you know, but as I say, you know, this kind of, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, when I watch, I watch Question Time, you know, BBC Question Time, and you try to, you see all these well-meaning, well-meaning people trying to square the circle, you know, trying to, well, we want, you know, we want, we want, we want schools to be better, but we don't, we want, we don't want to increase taxes. Okay. Yeah. And your plan is, you know, or we want to, whatever, we want Brexit or we don't want Brexit. We want, you know, we want, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we want to, we want to, uh, we want to manage the paradox somehow. And, I, you know, and, and entrepreneurs, we're always trying to do that. You know, we want, we want to be the cheapest and best. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it, isn't it? We can only, we can only afford what we can afford. That's what we do. Yeah. And, and we, we want to, uh. You know, and, company, and companies, all companies have to manage their own paradox. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, what, uh, what made the Roman Empire great was also the thing that caused it to implode eventually. <laughs> and there's a lesson in that. So, so, okay, so from your perspective, um, Microsoft's you- going great guns, Apple, Google, yeah. Facebook. Do you do any work with them? What do you? I'd like to. I, I think Facebook is, you know, Facebook's just. I mean, they've, they've had they've had the shittiest of years of years. I mean, they they can't seem to get out the firing line at all. Well, they, but they also chose to be there. They wanted two and a half billion customers, didn't pay anything. So what what else was it going to do? Well, they want, they wanted somebody's create, paying something. Yeah, they wanted to, they wanted to collect your data and they wanted to control the algorithm. I mean, they they chose all of it. Like you know, I, I think it's kind of. I think it's just like, well, it's going to suck, but we're going to be billionaires, so suck it up. <laughs> it's just, I don't. It's really hard to fix a social network, you know, by tweaking it. So uh, you, I mean, the call at the moment is to break it up, you know, to to split up WhatsApp and to split up Instagram. Where to stand why? on that one? And why? And why? What, what what problem is that solving? And then. But, I, I mean, and then uh, I mean, competition. I think is what people think it will solve. Yeah, well, you know, I think like like tw- 
Twitter, right? Which has 100 million users. And apparently that's a problem for some people. Although for that 100 million people who use it avidly, or for that you know, 20 million people who actually use it properly, or whatever, 10 million people who use it properly, it's actually a very good service. It's actually a really good business. But because investors wanted to be the next Facebook, for some reason it's failed. But it's yeah, not- I mean, it going public was its worst thing it could do, but the investors yeah. forced it. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, that's a question of framing. That's like bad framing. Whereas, you know, trouble with, trouble with social networks is they get overused and then they become slush piles and then you go somewhere else. Uh, I mean, I found, I found Facebook quite useful once I stopped trying to use it for everything. Just to say, I'm just going to talk to my high school buddies and, you know, people I haven't talked to in five years. You know, when I want to natter on about nothing. Just what well, I so- Social media is entropy, basically. It starts off very simple. Yeah. And over a period of time, it just gets complex and messy. And that's yeah. the problem. The, yeah. the thing with Facebook is everyone, as you said, wanted it to be, uh, you know, everything to everyone. Could I do everything through this? Or at least they tried. You know, it, it had a business element to it. It had a social element to it. It had a personal element to it. It had a, an events element. They just started the dating element just now recently to try and change how they make money. They've got groups with subscription models now that they're bringing out. So this whole, they just keep trying to reinvent the wheel because fundamentally, if they don't, they become just a total mess. And well, they will, they, they won't get replaced because there isn't anything going to replace them. That's the problem. There's nothing out there that's coming right. along. And I mean, I'm already, I'm already ta- you know, I mean, I mean, I know we talk on LinkedIn, but I mean, like most of my friends are on Facebook. I'm talking about my real friends, you know. Yeah, yeah. People actually, you know, it's like they're already there. I already know where they are. You know, it's like the pub. You know, they're already, they're already, they're already there. They're already drinking there. There's no need to drink. There's Find no, a new pub and go and drink in it. Yeah. Yeah, because what you're, you're you're replacing one pub with another pub, and you, you know, and and it's one thing if you're you're gonna replace a pub with something else that's even better, but you're just, there's no point in replacing the village pub with just another one more village pub. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's, it's like if it's a perfectly good village pub, then it's there, you know, worse and all. Even though you know the drunk in the, bo- on the on the bar and the, you know the, you know the the biker and the pool table. You know, I mean, you know, it's just okay. Eh. So let's let's have a look. Take a little uh, look back. So where did Hugh grow up? I grew up in Edinburgh mostly. Okay. And and I, wanted, I, I grew I grew up as a middle class schoolboy and. With an American accent, which didn't go very down, which didn't go down very well. Really, I would have thought that would have been uh, okay in those days. No, no, no. So, were your your parents were American, moved to Edinburgh, or no, it, no, no? My, my my dad was a Scottish person, my mother was American. Okay. And they first they were living in Houston, and they sent me to boarding school there, and then they moved there eventually. Okay. And uh, I stayed there till university, and then I went back to Texas. And then went to University of Texas, and then I went back to London for a while, and then I kind of pond hopped a lot. I spent a couple of years in England, Britain, Scotland. Spent a couple of years in New York and Chicago, and I ended up in uh, North Carolina. When I got when I met my wife in Miami, so I moved around a lot. Yeah, I've got a very good friend who lives in um, Cary in uh, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, that's, that's ten miles from me. Yeah, yeah. So she's she's uh, she came to live here in Cookham, loved it. But her husband dragged her back because of work. So yeah, well, you know, Carrie's very, you know, the thing about North Carolina is a very easy place to live. It's not hard like London is. 
this is very easy. It's a very high quality life here. Uh, and you know, I got a four year old daughter, so um, you know, so that's a good place to be for me. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> well, we're about the same age, so it's like yeah, okay. yeah, it's fine. Uh, and then uh, and I, kind of, I had a very yeah Perry Perret. You know, I I, I think I would have if I was independently wealthy and not afraid of the future, I'd kind of live in Scotland again. Right. Uh, but you know, it's just the combination of nationalism and Brexit is just too much right now. You know, yeah. you can just you can see it going tits up. You know real fast and i don't want i don't want and also uh it's just, it's just, i don't know I, I i mean i wish i had felt a bit more secure about it well i think scottish independence is on the cards in the next decade that's for certain yeah and just like you know i had a friend who's like uh he did very well in the city he made a lot of money he bought a uh he bought a big big little estate down there uh he, did, he bought a you know shooting estate up or fishing estate up there and he had to sell it to some Russian oligarch because it, it was just the, the the regulations were just like too tough. They went, oh god, they're going to come after us now. That's rich people. They're going to come after us because we apparently we've committed some atrocious sin for being successful. <laughs> uh, you know, you know. So that kind of uh, the political situation for people who actually want to be successful might actually not be that great in five, ten years' time. I don't know. Okay. I, so, I, I mean, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying I'm just, I'm just kind of watching this Scottish situation going, hmm, let's see how it develops. Yeah, and no, I think, well, I think independence is going to happen, unfortunately. I think yeah. the breakup of the United Kingdom now is inevitable. That's sad. I mean, I never saw it coming. I don't know why they want it. I, I, don't, see what, I don't see what problem they're actually solving, but that's just me. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's jingoism. It's, it's, okay. jing, it's jingoism. Um so you mentioned a little while back that you wrote a few books. The first yeah. book that I read was Ignore Everybody. That was my first and best one, I think. Yeah, that was, uh, that was my creative manifesto. So what was the uh, premise behind it? Why did you write it? What was the key thinking behind it? Well, give everyone a sort of... Yeah, a, I, I guess the key thinking was uh, that good ideas have lonely childhoods. I guess that was the, uh, that was the first premise. <laughs> Like that, okay, yeah. You know, like you're gonna be you're gonna be by yourself. You're gonna lose anybody, any because you're gonna be you're gonna be very lonely at first because no one's gonna be. And then the other thing is your friends aren't, aren't gonna get it at first either. They're gonna go, what the what the hell are you thinking? There's no there's not gonna be like this validation committee from your nearest and dearest when you come up with a good idea. They're gonna say, uh, shouldn't you be a dentist instead, darling? You know what I mean? Uh, and so it's lonely in the beginning. I just accept that. And then if you accept the pain, it cannot hurt you. And then that's and that's just the entrepreneur's lot, I'm afraid. Yeah, it is. But at the, at the same time, it's worthwhile. At least you, at least you tried. Because I, if you don't try, you will regret it, and it won't be worth it not to try. You know? Yeah, I, I always tell um, young entrepreneurs to read the book um, The Little Red Hen. Okay. That's very similar in what you've just said. You know, there's the head, red hen. She's got some seed. Nobody wants to help her plow the field. Nobody wants to help her sow the seed. Nobody help her wants to water it. But then slowly it starts to grow and people still won't help her. As an entrepreneur, yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. And you get to a certain point when the crop's grown and no one will harvest it with you. But, yeah. you know, 
And then finally, when it's ready to be turned into bread and dough, everyone wants to eat from your your hard work. Yeah, yeah. That, that 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 is the creative story for as stories all the time. But uh, you know, oh sorry, mm, bit of chewing gum. Yeah. Um, embarrassing. Uh, that's a story as old as time. It's like uh, you know, the the uh, you go into the woods and bring back the golden chalice, and uh, and you remember, and you give it, you, but the, the, the uh, what else are you going to do? What are you going to do? You, you're going to work for IBM instead, well, or whatever, British Telecom instead? Yeah. Marks and Spencer, get a nice little job with Marks and Spencer's, <coughs> Tesco's. I mean, you can do that too. But I mean, if you have the, the entrepreneurial, if you have the entrepreneurial temperament, it's not going to go away. And you don't, if you don't exercise it, you will die. Yeah. You cannot suppress it. And people say, I'll just, you know, suppress it and get a job with the post office. You can't do it. It'll, it'll come out eventually, either positively or negatively. And so, and so that's, and you know, that's why I like living in America because you can, the lot of what, what you have in America, which you don't have quite as much in, in, in Europe, is these nice places with low overheads. <laughs> yeah, housing is a lot cheaper over there. Yeah. So, so, like North Carolina, it's a very good place to raise kids and live cheaply and nicely. It's not just some, you know, it's not like moving to Preston. So, your second book was called Evil Plans. That's right. That's right. What now, was Evil not- Plans about? That was, that was like lessons about how to have fun in the world, on the road to world domination, like little anecdotes about it. You know, so now you decided, now that you're creative, you're trying to turn it into a business, now what? So it's basically a sequel to uh, Ignore Everybody. Uh, I don't remember as much about it as I do in the first book. Okay. Uh, just because, you know, my, first, my second book took me a year to write. My first book took me my whole life to write, so that's why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the third book was just an amusing little thing about why blog, called blogging, because freedom is blogging your underwear. Yeah, I'm just looking at book. the cover now. Which was a little blog, you know, it was fairly, which was like a little, mainly a little essay on why you should take a blogging. But I mean, that was like eight or nine years ago. And, you know, that the, the world's moved on since then. So it's not really, uh, you know, the Ignore Everybody, my first book's the most universal book, still the most resident. Uh, and also, I don't think I, uh, how do you say, how do you say, it was more of a, It was more of an author thing, you know. It was like my foray in being an author that kind of happened almost by accident. But I don't think I actually wanted to be an author. You know, it wasn't like here I'm going to be an author for the rest of my life. Now it was more of a, a little thing I tried for a few years, but didn't really uh, stick with. I think, you know, like uh, like Guy Kawasaki who writes a book a year for like 20 years. You know, boy oh boy, you know, it's it's. But that but it's what you said earlier. It, it, Guy Kawasaki's book is the equivalent of your cards. It's the calling yeah. card that opens the door for him to go and talk. It's like Seth yeah. Godin writing a book. But, yeah. You know, the books don't have any, fundamentally, I've read most of the books, and not Guy Kawasaki so much, but, you know, most books you read, they, they normally have one really good idea in them. And that's pretty much it. And then they just spread over 300 pages. Right, right, right. And that's kind of, so Seth calls it, he reads the book until he gets the joke, then he puts it away. Right. 
you know, you're like, okay, I get it, and then, then stop reading. Uh, which is fine, you know, as long as it transmits the idea. Well, I tend uh, to read the first chapter, last chapter, and then I'll read as far into the book as I find it useful and then put it down. Right, right. And then you, and there's also these people who write summation books, you know, these little slim volumes, which are like 15-page versions of the book in question. Yeah. You know, and, th th and they work for a reason. Uh, but, you know, the thing about books is like, it's like you never know how they're going to grab you. You know what I mean? They're going to like, I mean, some books come along and there's like, yeah, real estate, you know, 10 real estate tips for whoever, right? But some books just grab you and they transform you. And those, those are the books you want. And, so what's, and, go on, sorry, Hugh. They're increasingly rare. <laughs> I was going to say, so what is, what's a good book that you may recommend that you've read? Oh, you should always go back to literature. Great literature. That will always... That'll always change you, like like Moby Dick or War and Peace or Middlemarch or you know all the great books. Uh, uh, what's his name? Crime and Punishment. What's his name? Brothers Kramnikov, Dostoevsky. You know, just just you know, uh, all the great books are better, are just so much better than the business book. You know, the nonfiction. Uh, you want to read nonfiction, then you want to read. A, brief, a history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbon. You know, that's a fantastic book. Right. Uh, you know, just uh, modern books. To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, yeah. Catch 22 is marvelous. Uh, anything by Hemingway. I don't know. I mean, I'm just giving you my opinion. No. Uh, yeah. No. I'm trying to think of good contemporary fiction. Oh, I, I'm not really in contemporary fiction so much. I, I like it a little bit filtered by time. Uh, a little bit of filter. Uh, in terms of business books, like, you know, like... I, trouble with business books is a good one. They date real fast. I mean, Clue Train was a really good book for five years. Yeah. Seth, Seth Godin's a really fun read. Uh, Tom Peters wrote a really good book called Reimagine, you know, 10 years, you know, 15 years ago. That's excellent. Um... Paul Arden, you know, wrote some good books. Well, that's yeah. the, the, the reason they date is because they're just one idea fundamentally within them that dates over time. One idea about short-term advantage, how to achieve short-term advantage in the world as it is now. You know, like how to sell, you know, how to, how to, how to use social media, to, how to use blogs to make money. There's a, there's a good one. I used to do that, you know. That was like good for five years. Yeah. Uh, how to make, how to use Instagram to make brands make money? That's good. That was a good idea for five years. Uh, Facebook ditto. Uh, Twitter ditto. You know who's next? No idea. Uh, how Microsoft turned stuff around in you know 2014. You know, bam. You know, as the Romans would say, "Sic transit gloria mundi." You know, so it passes the glory of the world. You see that public school education didn't I, wasn't yeah. wasted. Wasn't yeah. wasted. Wasn't wasted. So they tell you the eternal truth, the ones that are going to be useful for you in 50 years. You know, uh, I remember, uh, this is 40 years ago, at, at public school, they made us sing this hymn called Dear, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, Forgive Our Foolish Ways. You know, it's a beautiful little hymn. And I dare say, I, I still meditate on what those words mean 40 years later. You know? Okay. Yeah, because, you know, breathe through the heat of our desire, that coolness and that bomb. What does that actually mean? You know, and, and now, now that you're like, you know, been more than, been probably crucified more than once by the world, 
<laughs> you know, once you're over 40, you know, the, the, the up go the you know up goes the cross and go the nails. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they find a way. <laughs> they find a way to get you up there. You know, you think about that. What does it all mean? You know, so uh, so the eternal. You know, I think you're always going to you're always going to try to find a short term advantage, but you're always going to have to you know navigate with the eternal. And that it's just a good thing to remember. Uh, and so I think you should, you know, I think I like reading poetry a lot, you know, because poetry forces you to silence before you can read it. You can't read it with something else going on in your head. You have to like, so when you really need to empty your head, I, I, I poetry is good because, you know, you got to turn off, you got to turn off the, you got to turn off the static, which is what the internet is singularly useless at. Yeah, yeah, and it's designed not to be. Uh, it's designed to be the continuous noise machine. Right. So, like, you know, get a good volume of Keats or, you know, Larkin or Shakespeare or Blake or, you know, uh, who else? I don't know that many poets. I have a few favorites. Uh, Wilford, I love Wilfred Owen, you know. You know, uh, Yates is a favorite of mine right now. Uh, you know, I think, I think, I think, I think actually, actually, I got to go pretty soon because I got an appointment. Yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, you know, I think right now, I don't know the age we're at or the, you know, the age we are at or the age we live in. But I think being able to turn down the volume is like going to be the next the next thing. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, again, somebody we both know, Michael Acton Smith from Mushy Monsters, who's now got Calm, you know, the the app that's the number one there seems to be a massive great big movement around meditation and being um you know still and 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 disconnecting i guess from the internet and minimalism and all that kind of zen shit you know like wearing uh like having like zen zen furniture and like zen computers and zen zen you know desk lighting and stuff all that japanese kind of you know influence and kind of Bauhaus, you know, German, yeah. you know, what we could brawn and you know, Johnny Ives and all, all that kind of uh, Muji. You, you remember Muji? Yeah. You know, uh, because we're trying to clear our heads because we got too much shit in it already, and uh, and that's you know, and calm is good, and I think uh, uh, m- you know, mindfulness is good. Uh, I like going to church for the same reason, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of, uh, I think it goes deeper than just, you know, I, I think going to church actually digs a lot deeper than a calm app. That's just my opinion. That's uh, yeah. you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, bu- you know, Buddhism, a lot of Buddhism, a lot of bu- Buddhism is very, co- very popular over here, especially in, on the West coast with the techies, you know, yeah. kind of, pho- pho- Buddh- you know, uh, because we're all, it's not so much we're trying to find Jesus or Buddha. We're just trying to turn. We're just trying. We're just trying to turn the junk. We're just trying to like declutter, basically. Uh, uh, and I, I think. Uh, but also, you know, the thing about. Well, I remember hearing this about uh, Bill Gates until he got married. You know, he lived. In, he lived in the same bungalow and drove a secondhand Subaru, even though he's the richest man in America. Not because he couldn't afford a, a better car, but he didn't want. He didn't want to put that stuff in his brain, you know, Mercedes, you know, takes up air, you know, to have an expensive car, takes up oxygen, takes up bandwidth. And he wanted it all on his company. You know, he wanted it all. Same with, uh, same with, same with Steve Jobs. You know, he lived in a small house, you know, he worked in the cubicle because he didn't want more shit in his life because he wanted it all 
he wanted all his bandwidth going on on his on his on his on his, uh, on his product. Uh, I know you've got to go. I've just got a couple of quick things. Just looking at your Twitter feed, there's two great posts you've put up. Okay. I just want to ask you about. So you're um, <clears throat> you put up as true today as it was ten years ago. Oh had right. I, had I known being successful was going to be this much work, I would have stuck at being a loser, which is a lovely, lovely one to say. Yeah. It is a, it is hard work, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, just it's just unrelenting. I think. I think. Yeah, I think it takes up a lot. Uh, and you kind of look at the people who just decided to kind of live at a lower level, and you kind of you know maybe you missed out on something. You know, uh, you know the guys who work for British Rail and leave home. You know, the guys who who drive. You know, I met this guy on holiday in Miami a few years ago. He drives a London tube. He's forty five years old. He's younger than me. He's already retired. All he did was like drive a bloody tube his whole life. You know, and now he has a pension. You just go, bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have taken the easy way out, all of us. Yeah, um, that's one, yeah. The other one was the best thing about being Scottish is that nobody expects you to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, that's kind of... <laughs> well, growing up there, it's because... Yeah, it was, it was like, you know, people... You know, think I lived up there, people just tell you, what you, tell you what you think. Tell you what they think. Hey, you, you're dressed like a, you know, you're dressed like a twat. Even though they don't know you. You know what I mean? Can you do that in Texas? You'll get shot. <laughs> so everyone's very polite. So it's very, it's a very different uh, frame. You know, they just assume they're not going to shoot you. So, and if they do, be, if you do have face to cuffs, at least you'll buy each other a drink afterwards. So it's kind of like, so even you know, people are very uh, outspoken there, which is uh, it, there's a which I like about it, but I also hate about it. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. You know, it's like. Yeah, they're very, they're very straightforward. You, you know where you're stand. At the same time, you've got some numpty picking a fight with you at McDonald's for no reason. Yeah. yeah. Because he's having a bad day. And it's kind of like, kind of puts you on edge a little bit. At the same time, you know, if you live somewhere where everybody's trying to be polite, that gets a wee bit grating. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's, but at the same time, it's kind of nice, but it's also, <laughs> it, it adds, it, it gives some character, I guess. Okay, so wrapping up, Hugh. Um, so apart from being an amazing cartoonist, having had probably uh, fame, if, if maybe not fortune, as you say, from doing it, um, what's what's the next ten years look like for you? I think I'd like it to be less about the cartoons and more about the clients. I think. Okay. You know, I think I think it's more. I mean, I've done the cartoons, and that's great. But I think it's more. If you can make your cartoons have, it's nice to be able to do a good cartoon. You know, like ha ha ha, aren't I aren't I clever? Aren't I funny? That's nice. But to get to the stage where you're actually, they're actually in the real world, having a real world positive effect. That's much more gratifying than just showing off how clever you are. If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, but I, you know, you just talked about all the poets that you mentioned and all the big books. Yeah. That, you know, the, your legacy will be long lived. My legacy won't. I've never done anything to the extent that you've done in terms of drawing these cartoons. Oh, there will well, be a there will be a work of, you know, an arc yeah. of work that you have that you will leave behind you that will that will be longevity where well, I'll have nothing. There's always a kind of grass is greener idea going on here. You know what I mean? It's like. Uh, but no, but I'm just saying it's just nice to be like, you know, it's nice to have, be an artist, but not be a bohemian, not be, not be a, 
you know, not be an art studenty type person. Yeah. You know I mean, it's nice to be in the real world. I enjoy that. I enjoy helping people in a serious way and having, you know, and yes, there is a serious, you know, the literary idea, you know, with the lasting artistic effect that that is gratifying, but it's also a kind of real world effect. I also appreciate more, especially now that I have other people depending on me, you know, yeah. so, you know where I have to deliver, you know, I have to, you know, pay the mortgage, you know, I have to, you know, I have to, uh, you know, I got, I got mouths to feed, same as you, you know, <laughs> And also, you know, be a man, you know, be an adult, be a grown up, you know, and but also, you know, try to figure out what's what what are other people's problems as opposed to what my you know, worry more about other people's problems than worry about my own problems. So that's what said. Yeah, well as soon as you become a parent, that's what happens generally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also clients. So, you know, I think as I get older I find clients' problems more interesting rather than, you know, I actually I always have. I always find client problems more interesting than just a means to an end. I right. think that's what, what made my, my, my work interesting was I always found I actually found it interesting rather than just if I crack this they'll pay me. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think if you can uh, So, so I, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy right now, so I wouldn't change that much. Yeah, it's than, the old adage, find what you love doing and do do it and the money will follow. Yeah, but more 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 of it more often, I guess. The, you know, more more home runs. More knocking for six, more more sixes and fours, less strikeouts and ducks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, okay. And then with your crystal ball head on, where do you see this internet thing of ours going? Are we just going to be sucked in more and more into um, voice and AI and uh, social networks and just more noise? Yeah. Or is, there, is there an more, end game to this? More, just more, more stuff. Maybe something will pop out. I think. I think. I think the next five years, there's going to be more stuff. Just luck, and we're all going to uh, fight against it. A bit like we used to fight against the TV. Remember when? Remember when television first had 50, 55 channels, and you find yourself channel surfing for the first time? Yeah. And you just found yourself watching TV shows you just never would have watched before. You know. Uh, and I think we'll have this battle for our attention, and I think we'll. Uh, and I think we'll we'll have to find more. I think we'll, you know, I think we'll be searching for new religions, actually. You know, we always try to uh, find antidotes for the ones we were raised on. Uh, so we'll find new, you know, whether 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 it's in the Internet or design or politics or, you know, you know, meditative, whatever. We'll always look for religious substitutes uh, and religious ideologies and, you know, and we'll... Uh, Try to bring those to our workspaces and our our design and our technologies. Uh, and so, and I, I think you know, I think we'll be. I think the uh, the really privileged among us will will have will have will be able to turn it off. You know, we'll be able to say, well, I don't have a phone. My assistant have a phone. Yeah. You know? uh, I just I don't have you know I don't have I don't I don't have a uh, I don't have a calm app. What I have is I own three hundred acres of woods. Okay. In Yukon, <laughs> with a cabin, you know, ten miles to the road, you know, whatever, you know, uh, I go read in, in in Yukon or the Scottish Highlands, you know, you know, I mean, what what are, what are billionaires doing now? They buy they buy deer estates in the Scottish Highlands. Yeah, exactly. 
they don't need the app. They could, they, you know, they, they own, uh, they own, they own, they own Klebrick. They own the, they own Sutherland. <laughs> you know, they own, they own Glen Almond. <laughs> yeah. They own Grousemore. <laughs> so, so, I mean, no, but I think, I think, uh, always, always watch what rich people are doing and imitate them. <laughs> okay. That's good advice. Yeah. Hugh, uh, right, God bless. Very much, very much for your time, mate. Really good to see you. And, right. uh, and I hope um, I hope the uh, next year you get the operation that you want as well. Oh, thank you. Well, God bless and love to Britain. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.